You're listening to the Teaching Matters podcast, brought to you by the University of Edinburgh and part of the Teaching Matters blog. Teaching Matters brings together students and staff in conversation, debate, and celebration of learning and teaching in higher education. Feel free to share your comments with us, either directly on the blog or email us at teachingmatters at ed.ac.uk. You can listen and subscribe to the Teaching Matters podcast at Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and music is provided by Hook Sounds. This episode of the Teaching Matters podcast accompanies our March to April 2021 series on internationalization, curated by Dr. Labake Fakunle as guest editor. Dr. Fakunle is a Chancellor's Fellow at the University of Edinburgh and coordinator of the MSc Education General Pathways at Murray House School of Education and Sport. In this episode, Dr. Fakunle talks to Professor James Smith. James is a Professor of African and Development Studies and Vice Principal International at the University of Edinburgh. In this wide-ranging and fascinating conversation, the university's international activities and collaborations serves as a jumping-off point for an in-depth discussion that speaks to many of the key themes of the university's strategy for 2030 and possible directions for curriculum transformation. These include how COVID-19 transformed what's core and what's periphery in international research collaborations, who the gatekeepers should be, and the need to disrupt things further. At its heart, this conversation is about celebrating the international community at the university, but also breaking down the barriers between the city and the university, and recognizing the educational and civic value of having international and diverse classrooms and residences. Thank you again so, so much, James, for the for accepting, you know, to be interviewed for this Teaching Matters podcast on internationalization. And, you know, you're kind of the best person that I could ever hope to dream. It's like a journalist landing an interview with the president, you know, because you are in charge of developing the internationalization strategy at the university. You have oversight and you've done so much in this space that I am aware of. So it's really my pleasure to to interview you to just, you know, talk to us a bit about what the process is like, your vision for internationalization and how you see things moving on, you know, in view of, of course, we have to talk about the pandemic. It's like the thing that is in every conversation now, but more importantly about the strategies, what you've done and what you hope to do. So I would welcome you, Professor James Smith, to this interview. My very first question, of course, is to ask about, you know, your overall responsibility, but I don't know before then, would you just like to tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, how you came into this role, how you've led in this role and all you do? Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm not sure I'm really in charge of internationalization because it's really a, a team effort, a collaborative effort. And I guess that's maybe something that we'll, we'll expand upon in the conversation. Uh, in, in terms of my background, I guess my interest in um, internationalization as is is something I would deal with kind of professionally and managerially really came from my own experience as an international student. So I am um, from Scotland, not too far from Edinburgh, but my master's and PhD and my first postdoc were all um, uh, completed in South Africa um, from 96 to 2003. So 
I've, I've got that perspective, I think, of seeing internationalization from um, the side of a student, but also seeing it from um, the, the side of a prospective partner to the University of Edinburgh. Uh, and I really, you know, I, I guess to me, a university is many, many things. It's, um, yes, it's what happens in the classroom and the laboratory and, and maybe the residence, but it's also um, about trying to use that in, in infrastructure as a launch pad to um, gain different perspectives and different experiences. And I think internationalization, whether we're talking about uh, a research collaboration, uh, a teaching collaboration or a go abroad experience, really, I think, gives different perspectives and adds a huge amount of value to um, higher education in one place. Uh, in terms of my my research, my research as well, you know, I'm a professor of, of, of African studies and African development, and clearly that's that's also very international. And, and I think there's quite a lot of synergy between my own research, which is looking at knowledge production, um, innovation internationally, and the roles of universities in, in, in building international partnerships and having impact around the world as well. So I feel it all comes, in my mind, it all kind of comes together in a synergistic way. Um, of course, reality is I struggle to fit everything in and make things work, but um, uh, there's, there's a logic there of some sort, I think. And, and that builds on, of course, nicely to my very first question. With your responsibility, you know, even though, of course, you've told us it's teamwork, but you're kind of spearheading that, um, the amazing team working with you. How would you describe internationalization at Edinburgh? Uh, I, I think uh, it's probably going through a period of transition, and that was happening prior prior to COVID, which clearly has changed things quite significantly. Um, I think Edinburgh has been at the vanguard of internationalization in many respects. It's been growing quite quickly internationally. Lots of reasons for that. A four-year degree, undergraduate degree, clearly uh, translates into many parts of the world quite well. English-speaking university, a fantastic international reputation, fantastic colleagues, fantastic research and teaching, and it's really, you know, I think, and, and a kind of long, long, long history. And I think those things have have served to to drive students in wanting to come to Edinburgh, and that's something which I think has been. You know, quite dramatic and quite organic, and certainly predates my time in the role. Um, so you might also you, you might almost describe that period of growth as um, kind of organic internationalisation. It happened for these reasons. Yes, obviously we worked to um, support that and build upon that, but um, it, it was happening because that's the that's the nature of higher education. Probably from um, you know late nineties, mid nineties up until maybe five or ten years ago. I think the period we're in now is probably. Um, we're probably trying to be a bit more, bit more circumspect and a bit more strategic. And as I mentioned, that predates COVID. Um, thinking less about the, the kind of the, the rapid increase of internationalisation, but beginning to think more about the implications of that, the impact of that, um, where we ought to be looking to in the future to ensure we can have the biggest possible impact. For example, so that's where we are. And of course, Brexit and uh, Brexit first, and then COVID um, accelerated that thinking. And I would say we're now in a period where we're much more intentional about internationalization. So we're thinking, you know, particularly hard in the European context about building strategic partnerships. We've, of course, are a founder member of the Uni Europa University Alliance. And, you know, frankly, before Brexit, we didn't have to think about that because the infrastructure allowed those sorts of collaborations to develop. Uh, and I think the other area where we're thinking quite hard is um, about the future. So we're we're aware of where um, research collaborations are taking place now. We're aware of where um, research, in research impact of our work can be really great. 
and we're, we're aware of where um, international students come from and where our students want to go. But but I think in the next 10 to 20 years, there'll be significant shifts in, in those flows of collaboration, of students of go abroad activities. And we need to, I think, get on the front foot with that a little bit and be planning now for what we think is going to happen in the future, which, as I said, hasn't been the case in the past. So um, I think that transition is beginning to happen. It's been accelerated by COVID. It will be accelerated again, I think, by um, maybe some of the experiences, good and bad, of, 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 of the COVID pandemic. But I would imagine over the next two to three years, we'll see quite a different strategy, which is much more focused on, on place, much more focused on, on deeper partnerships and, and probably underpinned a little bit more by, um, by technology, um, whether digital or um, you know, data science or other sorts of technology. Uh, so that's really, I think, where we are at the moment. It is fantastic to hear, you know, about the plans for the future. And that certainly speaks to the things I'm even doing in my research. As you know, my research is on internationalization and I'm as well looking at graduate employability. So naturally, I'm doing a, a research right now with some of our master's students on the future of work. And it speaks to all these things you've talked about in terms of, you know, disruption to the shall we say organic growth and what was expected and these two big um issues in 2020 we have the brexit we have um covid you know so these are real disruptions to higher education and definitely it's wonderful to hear how you're planning you know to do this and to 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 act on it and put edinburgh as you say at the forefront of what needs to be done in higher education. But if I can just step back a little bit and say, um, in terms of the pandemic, you know, the COVID pandemic, what aspects of internationalization at Edinburgh has been most affected by these that you have had to deal with in your role? Well, um, for my role in particular, things have changed quite significantly. So I, I would have spent quite a lot of time um, flying and traveling to places. Um, I spent an awful lot of time in um, uh, in um, Edinburgh Airport lounges and you know kind of cramped economy class seats, flying around the world for meetings. Uh, th that's that's all changed, uh, and I, I suspect that will um, not pick up as it once did. And, and that that I think is really important anyway, because um, I, I think we can we can fall into received ways of working, which means um, you know flying somewhere to sign a, a memorandum of agreement because that's the expected thing to do. You know, if we're thinking about kind of climate change and um, greenhouse gas production and our, our responsibility to sustainability, then you know, thinking much more carefully about where we, when we do travel and why we travel, is really important. So, so that's the most material change in terms of my day-to-day -day life. I, um, I sit in my office and I have meetings online and, and and teach online and those things, as do many of us. But um, um, the face-to-face -face interaction has has gone. I think some will come back, but probably not all. That that's been a significant thing. Another really significant thing um, has been actually how little disruption there's been um, to the development of, of university to university partnerships. It's actually been in some ways much more efficient to to be working online. You can um, be much more flexible. Uh, you can meet more regularly for shorter periods of time to discuss opportunities and discuss ways of working. And, and that in, in some way, I think, is much more it's much more real and much more human than a, a big set piece fancy meeting in a boardroom in um, Hong Kong or Toronto, for example. So, so I, I find there's been little little disruption to partnership de development. 
of course, where there has been a lot of disruption is really to um, student mobility and staff mobility as well. Um, maybe I'll, I'll talk about student mobility first. We've, we've, of course, had to really curtail student go abroad activity for obvious, obvious reasons. And we're looking to um, start that up again uh, as soon as possible, as soon as it's safe. And of course, some, some for some students and some degree programmes, that mobility is much more central and much more important than for others. So we need to think about those priorities. But but I, I, I also imagine that we'll um, probably move into an era where, where student mobility will change as well. So I think Edinburgh has been good at student mobility. We've been really excellent at securing Erasmus Plus funding when that was available. We support thousands of students to go overseas um, for, for significant activities, but I'm not sure if we were quite supporting um, the full breadth of our student population as we would like, and I'm not sure we were perhaps giving students the the kind of skills and experiences they would need. So, so I would imagine post-COVID we'll be looking at less year abroad in a university very, very like Edinburgh. You know, our popular partners are Sydney, Toronto, Berkeley, um, you know, English-speaking universities, excellent world top top ranked universities, um, just better weather than Edinburgh. Uh, and, and I think what we'll look at instead is probably more experiential, shorter, sharper um, activities, which I hope will broaden access to, to our student community uh, in other parts of the world, for example, one might gain as much from you know, a month spent at a university in South Africa as a, as a year spent in Toronto, given the experiences um, one might gain from that from, from that opportunity. One might gain more skills from a, a go abroad opportunity, which is about a work placement than a, a university placement. So thinking of, of that much more kind of variegated um, portfolio, of, portfolio of opportunities, I think, is, is where we'll be going. Uh, and, and then I think staff mobility is also a real challenge as well. For, for, for many researchers, um, COVID has, has, has maybe given a research opportunity if you're working in biomedical sciences, if you're working in epidemiology. For researchers such as, such as myself who require time in the field, conducting ethnography, conducting um, interviews, doing that sort of perhaps more social science-led research, it's been a real challenge and of course much of that research has had to stop and and teaching and family responsibilities for many people hasn't helped but we do need to think about ways in which we can accelerate people's ability to get their research up and running again we are we are a very large university in a, in a small country and our research is particularly international and it's very distinctive for that and we do need to um, find ways to you know accelerate collaboration to get people back into research fields if that's um, you know, a real priority for them and, and get that up and running for people again. So that's another area where there's been, I think, significant um, uh, change. Um, I think what will happen post-COVID will be interesting because I think quite a lot of people probably have put new collaborative opportunities in place, collaborative measures in place, working through um, partners in, in the countries in which they work rather more, and that's probably a really good thing. But for some people, thinking of my colleagues in anthropology in particular, perhaps, you know, they need to be in the field. So trying to work to ensure that can happen safely and as swiftly as possible is also really important. Looks like there's a lot that is going on, which of course I know would be, and, and it's good for you to just kind of give us your, you know, kind of overview perspective of, of course, the opportunities as well as the challenges, and of course, the new ways of imagining higher education, international collaborations. And I think you talked about, you know, your team, the people you work with. How does this filter through 
you know, the university from your own, um, the work you do, I mean, getting it down, should we say to the frontline staff, you know, who deal with students mm. who, who work in these collaborations as mm. well? Um, it, it's always a challenge in, in such a large university. I mean, the university community is about 55,000, 60,000 uh, people, 15,000 staff, 14,000 staff, um, colleagues, uh, the rest are students. And it's very devolved. So it's really difficult, I think, to uh, percolate down into individual research communities and to interact with in individual researchers. But we, we, we do have to try and do that. And I guess another shift in internationalization, simply you know, a shift in scale has been the extent to which a small central team, Edinburgh Global, can manage all this activity and the extent to which the broader university community of colleagues and students has to take um, a bit more responsibility for that. And, and I think we were moving to a position where um, there's much more structure in place. M many, if not all schools, have a director of internationalization. I think two of the three colleges have a formal committee, an international committee, there's various structures which allow that sort of engagement to happen, uh, and I think probably we've seen a seen we've seen a, a shift in Edinburgh Global from delivering services um, to delivering support, uh, and that needs to continue. And that's the only way I think in which we can provide sustainable, systematic support across the university and ensure we're supporting as many uh, international students and international staff members as possible. So it's really about communication. In some ways, that's been aided by uh, COVID because. Um, online meetings are perhaps easier and more convenient to set up, but there's also an extent to which there are limits to online meetings. And I think we're probably all at a point when we're a bit fatigued by MS Teams. I must admit, I have nightmares about MS Teams. So finding more creative and collaborative ways in the future, I think will be really important to discuss not what my vision of internationalization looks like, but what our vision of internationalization should be across the entire community. And that's really where I think we have to get to. And, and, you know, talking about that vision, one of the blog posts we've actually had in this series was contributed by Davis Bander, and he talked about internationalization and decolonization and asking how the two can work together. And he speaks to some of these things you just mentioned now about having a director of internationalization, working closely with the learning and teaching community, and working, you know, not just to internationalize the curriculum but to acknowledge that there is a need as well to decolonize the curriculum and i know that is well up your aisle being a professor of african studies as well so any insight about that you know high level meetings that you're obviously planning and talking in this area for the university as mm -hmm. part of the vision I think it's a fundamental issue, um, especially given given my own situation as a as a as a kind of white Scottish male uh, professor of African studies, um, um, sitting in the Centre for African Studies, which is, is in itself a you know a colonial construct. I, I think it's really important that we we think quite critically and quite carefully about that. I think there are huge opportunities. I think we need to think about decolonisation. Um, not just in terms of the curriculum, and I, I worry a bit if we think about it in terms of the curriculum, it becomes a, a, an easy task of um, selecting slightly more diverse readings, um, uh, of um, selecting more diverse case studies, and it's got to be much more fundamental than that. We've, we've got to acknowledge the role in the university, and the university is a, you know, we're very proud of the university's history as one of the UK's leading universities for hundreds of years, but 
you know, that comes with a certain amount of baggage as well. And I think we have to acknowledge that, um, acknowledge the, the, the good that has been done through the university, but also acknowledge the bad. Uh, and, and that process has to take place across the university. As you know, some of these conversations have begun. There's been um, a challenging conversation about the names of some of our um, um, you know, ugliest buildings on campus. And I think that that's in some ways quite peripheral to what really needs to happen. But we do need to think much harder about higher education in its totality uh, as something which is developed um, in the UK as well as in other places. And we have to recognise that you know, we are not we're no longer the core and we should never all should never have seen ourselves as the core, but we're also part of the periphery as well. And, and I do wonder if COVID perhaps um, puts that into sharp relief. So I think I mentioned before the challenges of, of doing research in other parts of the world in a world where we can't travel. Um, and that's the same for almost all universities in the world. We are constrained in the in the same way that perhaps well, well uh, less well resourced universities are. And maybe that should give us pause for thought and give us a bit of insight into some of the challenges some of our partners have faced. So I think there's a really huge piece of work which has to go on there. I think it's about the community. Yes, it's about the curriculum. It's about the campus, but it's also about us digging into our past and being critical in order to to do better in the future. And um, I'm really delighted that some brilliant colleagues, um, Professor Tommy Curry, um, um, uh, among them are going to be leading this work. And it's going to be, um, you know, I think really fundamental to setting ourselves as, um, you know, not as an organic international university, not as an intentional international university, but as an international university that understands its place, understands its contribution, and understands how to do better and do more of that um, and be more reflective of the community that we have on campus today. That's inspiring and it is great to hear that. I mean, speaking from uh, both my research as well as a personal perspective, and all I can say to that is thank you. No smart answer to, you know, to say to that, but that is very inspiring. And I'm sure that will also be very reassuring, you know, coming from the top and from leadership. And I'm certainly very proud to work in this university, seeing how this is being steered. And because I believe internationalization is all about leadership, really. It because it's what the tone that is set, you know, from the leaders would definitely filter down into the research we do, into the values. And I recognize that the Edinburgh Strategy 2030 is about values, you know, and to see how these values are being enacted, it's something, I know it's an ongoing process, we're not there yet, but at least it's great to be part of moving forward with um, what you're doing and your leadership. So thank you again for that. Now, the Teaching Matters blog posts have focused on individual perspectives on internationalization. And speaking from your research perspective, which of course you've already alluded to, but in case there are some other things you want to add, how is internationalization integrated into your research in African and development studies? And I'm talk speaking even beyond what you do, but in terms of what your, you know, the people you work with. Mm -hmm. How is internationalization integrated into mm -hmm. your? Um, it, well, for my own research, it's really, really fundamental. I'm very lucky to be involved in projects which um, uh, are very international. I think take partnerships very seriously and um, want to have impact. So, um, you know, my, my my research is looking at the moment on uh, innovation around kind of healthcare in Africa and range of diseases, looking at how we. Um, 
you know, develop technologies, develop policies, develop health systems which really work for communities who need them. And um, I can think of the TIBA project, which is um, you know, a really, really powerful partnership project, which is looking at health system strengthening and support across a range of African countries, led by Professor Mark Woolhouse and Francisca uh, Muta Professor Francisca Mutapi. And I think it's a really good example of internationalization around African development in practice. It's a project where Edinburgh supports um, seven or eight African university partners to deliver the research and the research questions and the research demands are being set by the African partners. So in some ways, what we're doing is, is, is acting as a, a clearinghouse for research funding and a capacity support to um, allow African partners to address problems which are specific to their countries. And we're very lucky that TIBA has been so successful. We're hoping to expand that in future. But, the, but, the, but it's a good example. I think it's a microcosm, I think, of how we should be working in future. We need to recognise what a university like Edinburgh can bring to the table and be, you know, re recognise the, the strengths and weaknesses, but also recognise um, who should be shaping the debates about research, about research, who should be setting research agendas, setting research questions. You know, it can be us, but it shouldn't always be us. And for a project looking at um, health outcomes in, in Africa, it needs to be African partners, African communities, and and we couldn't do that research effectively without those African partners. So, so that's a really good example, which I think speaks to um, a, a set of values I hold quite dear about internationalization as well. Um, I, I can talk more broadly about my colleagues in the Centre for African Studies, um, all of whom are fundamentally committed to working uh, through partnership. Nobody works as a lone researcher. Everybody is working as part of a research team in which African colleagues and African partners and African universities are really central, um, if not leading to that. And that's where I think we can learn from COVID. I think what COVID teaches us is, um, you know, we can do things um, in different, more creative ways. Uh, digital technologies can, can allow us to do things that perhaps we didn't think uh, are possible. And if I had um, what, one, one, one hope, it would be that we can really, um, you know, disrupt a little bit more. So I think in 2018, um, we, we hosted the, the European African Studies Conference in Edinburgh, and it was it was huge. There were thousands of people here. We, we did huge amounts of fundraising to fund scholarships for African scholars to come. Many thanks to many donors to make that possible. But but I do find it odd that we have, um, you know, the, the largest African studies conference in the world taking place in Edinburgh. I, I think African studies conferences should take place in Africa. Uh, and I think COVID um, has shown us the potential of technology to make that happen. We can make it happen in different, more interesting ways. And again, it's about trying to subvert the notion of what's the core and what's the periphery and do something quite differently. So uh, Centre for African Studies is 50 something years old. It's had a an, an annual conference for every single one of those years, apart from last year due to COVID. I would be quite happy if we didn't have another conference in Edinburgh. I think other conferences should be delivered with and through African partners from it forevermore. And that's probably something which we could um, you know, replicate across other bits of the university in terms of area studies, international engagement, international research themes and, and what have you. What would be that message you want to put out there in terms of internationalization in Edinburgh for staff, students and everybody? Well, maybe one quick piece of uh, perspective, international student advice. As, as we're recording this on the 5th of May, um, it is um, snowing outside. So um, 
given international students will be arriving in September, um, make sure you, you buy a warm jacket. And my advice would be to buy your warm jacket when you arrive and not in your home country, because um, as I know from bitter experience, a warm jacket from Johannesburg is not a warm jacket in Scotland. Um, in, in terms of um, you know, a final piece of advice, um, I, I, I guess there's so many. Um, for me, it should, really about, it should be about celebrating internationalisation. And I think we probably all do in terms of in terms of research. Um, we recognise that's really important to the values of the university, our ability to have impact. It's important for every discipline and possibly more important for some disciplines than other, but there's an international aspect to all of that. Um, what, what I think we could do more of is celebrating the international community in Edinburgh, in the university, uh, and celebrating that community in the city. So you know, I mentioned before, um, 55,000 uh, odd people on campus, 24, 25,000 of them are from outside of the UK, from 170 different countries. That, that That's injecting huge diversity into our classrooms, um, into our residences, across our colleges, uh, the campus, but also across the city. And I think there's much, much more we could do to celebrate that, to make um, engagement across those communities much more part of, of how we learn and educate each other and um, um, become more international citizens in the university. But I think even more importantly, we could do much more to make that much more part of the city. So we're a very international university, which also makes us, in some respects, maybe a, a less local university. Uh, and, and there's a real tension there, I think, to a certain extent. But what we what we can do and what we should do, I think, is to try to show how this international community in the university is also a community of the city and the international communities of the city and whether they're um, first, second, third or fourth generation can connect up. So breaking down that Edinburgh City, Edinburgh University barrier, I think is a really fundamental part of internationalisation, recognising it's not one versus the other, it's all part of an interconnected whole. And I think if we can do that, then we can provide a much richer learning experience. We can provide much more recognition to the benefits of the university to the city. And we can give international students um, a much deeper insight into life in Scotland, life in the city of Edinburgh, and life as a student and living and working and studying in another part of the world. You nicely summed up what our final um, blog contributor said in terms of using internationalization to build bridges and how important for diversity to be seen as a bridge that we need to communicate more for more understanding and we need to be open-minded. And I can say for sure, I'm delighted to be part of, you know, this growth, this process at the University of Edinburgh. And it is amazing again to have this conversation with you. And thank you so, so much for your leadership and I look forward to um, discussing more the processes on how we expand internationalization indeed for all and not just for some or not for one or the other, as you rightly said. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Tabaki. Thank you for inviting me. And it's not about my leadership. It's about me supporting people such as yourself to you know, make the university what it is. Thank you. Thank you so much.